A couple years ago, I was on a senior trip to Tuscarora with some of the youth group kids. And if some of you have been to Tuscarora know about the fine establishment that it is, right? Not the best accommodations, but we love it and we have so much fun there every year. And this one year, they decided to put us right above the dining hall. And the problem with that was there was dumpsters right outside of the dining hall. And there was this really cool balcony, actually, that looked out over the river. And so we tried to do a couple of our meetings right there. But there were bees that were constantly surrounding us as we were trying to have service. Literally, everything that we did, there were bees around us. And by the end of the trip, we were packing up the car, and I I just had enough with the bees. So I did something really brilliant. I started to swing at one of the bees. And I know what you're thinking, brilliant idea. I'm so glad that this guy takes care of my children, right? And here I am swinging at this bee. And let's just say that the bee won. The bee um, flew onto my eyelid and stung me right there, and it actually died right in that spot. I had to rip it off of my eyelid, and immediately it started to really burn and itch. And so... What I did next is what a lot of us do when something goes wrong. We Google it, right? And like it doesn't matter if you get like a sunburn or like a really small cut or get stung in the eye by a bee. If you go online and you look it up, it will always say the same thing. There is probably a chance that you are going to die, right? Why does that always take you to the worst case scenario that's possible? And actually, as I kept reading, um, I saw something that said that there was a chance for permanent eye loss when you get stung in the eye by a bee. So here I am, getting really nervous, and here's actually the first thing that I see. I see this, and I was like, awesome. I'm going to look like Quasimodo from that Disney movie for a little bit, right? And I actually had an important thing coming up that week, and so I was like, oh, no, this is going to be horrible. Well, I like, immediately left all the kids like a really good leader. Andrew was there to take care of them, and I went to Walgreens, and I got some Benadryl, and I'm glad to say that things didn't end up how they seemed like they were going to end up. I was so grateful for that. Now, let's flash forward two months. Um, I'm driving in my car home from work, and I have the windows down. It's a beautiful day in October, and of course, a bee flies in, right? And it is just going all around my car, and I just have memories of getting stung in the eyelid, and I'm just like, please, Jesus, do not let this sting me, right? I'm swinging my hands just trying to get it out, And after a little bit, after like almost going into oncoming traffic, um, uh, I feel like the bee is gone. Like I don't see it anymore. It's not moving around. And I was like, awesome. And I leaned back in my seat. And as I leaned back, I feel this pinch in my back. And I was like, oh no, here we go again. And it really starts to itch really bad. And my wife wasn't home from work yet. So I was like, why don't I just stop home at my parents' house and see if my mom can look at it. Maybe there's still like the stinger in it. Maybe she can help me out. And as I'm on my way to her house, it's really itching bad. And I get there and I tell her about it and I let her look at it. And she says, don't worry, you'll be fine. Why don't you just take a Benadryl and go for a swim in the pool? And I was like, all right, that sounds like good advice. I trust my mom. And right before they did that, I was like, you know what, just let me check it out real quick. Let Let me take a look in the mirror. And as I do that, hives began to break out all over my body. One hive on my back turned into one giant one all over my body. And then I get shortness of breath. And so my mom is like, all right, maybe we should probably go to the hospital now. And so we get in the car and like, I'm basically dying, but I'm also loving it on the same hand. I'm like wheezing and I'm having shortness of breath. I'm like, you told me to go in the pool. Like, what are you thinking, right? I can finally rub something back in my mom's face a little bit, right? Even though I'm basically dying, but we got to the ER and everything was fine. And I'm so grateful that um, things weren't what they seemed because it looked really bad for a little bit. And what I want to talk to you about today is how things aren't always as they seem. 
I've heard people say before that unless they can see it, feel it, or hear it, then they won't believe it. And I think when it comes to the things of God, and maybe just life in general, we rely a little bit too much on our physical senses. See, there's a difference between what's going on on the surface and what's happening at the source. So many of us live our lives on the surface. We trust what our eyes can see. We trust what we can hear. But there is so much going on deeper than what those physical things can tell us. And I know what some of you are thinking. Joey, I trust my feelings beyond my senses, right? Sometimes, especially young people think this, that my feelings are the ultimate truth in my life. If I feel it, then it must be real. I want to tell you something that might make some of you upset. Your feelings are constantly lying to you. Your feelings and your emotions cannot be trusted. And there is something that we can rely on. There is something that we can stand on when disaster and hard times strike in our lives. I want to remind you what faith is. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 1 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about, about what we do not see. We like the idea of faith. It sounds really good on paper, but when the battle comes, or the test, or the difficult season, faith isn't so good anymore when we actually have to put it into practice. Can I tell you what faith isn't? Faith isn't the absence of trouble. Somewhere along the line, a lot of us started believing that, that if we have faith, everything will always work out. But that is not what the writer of Hebrews tells us. He tells us that is the absence of of things unseen. And that isn't always easy, to trust and believe in the things that you can't see, but there is power in it because it takes you beyond the surface and into the source of so many different things that are happening in our lives. Um, last month, I got a phone call from my wife, and she had some bad news, and it really kind of blindsided us and hit us in a place that we really weren't expecting at all. And I remember hanging up the phone with her and just being so completely discouraged, so overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. And I immediately tried to figure things out on my own. I tried to bring everything into my own hands and I tried to see if we could do this or do that to get around this or, or how we could make it work. And the more that I tried to bring it into my own hands, the worse I felt. The more anxiety I felt, uh, I felt was falling on me. And then eventually, probably after about an hour, and I'm almost embarrassed to say that, I caught myself. And I said, are you the man of God that you say you are? Because you haven't even prayed about this once. You haven't even brought it to God, and you spent all this time worrying, trying to figure things out on your own. And as soon as I said that, I fell on my hands and my knees, and I said, God, I invite you into this situation. I know you're in control over everything. And as soon as I did that, I felt a peace come over me that I wish I would have done from the very beginning. And you know what the crazy thing about this whole experience is? That news that we heard never even happened. It wasn't even true. And I forgot to say that at the second service today. And my wife was like, you have to remember to say that because everyone's asking us what's going on that's wrong. So I remember here at the second, on the third service. But 
I was so relieved that the news wasn't true. But then I thought about it, like, all that time that I wasted worrying. And I think that's a picture of a lot of us. We're trying to figure out things in our life. We're trying to make them work instead of giving them to God, instead of living by faith. It's time for us to stop always looking at the surface and start looking deeper into the source. Our difficulties have a way of making us feel surrounded, right? Some of you are going through some really difficult things in the room. Some of you have someone in your life that's sick, and everything your eyes show you is bad. It looks really dark for you, and you're not sure how this is going to work out for that person, and so you're filled with fear and worry and anxiety about what could happen. For some of you, things at work are really bad. You've heard rumors that you may lose your job, and so you're not sure how you may be able to provide for your family, and so everything you hear is overwhelming you. Then some of you in the room tonight, you're young, right? And you're not sure what your future is going to look like. What college should I go to? What should be my major? Some of these questions can be so overwhelming and fill us with so much anxiety. And then others of you, your family is just a mess tonight. Just feels like everything is falling apart. All you can ever do is fight. And you're not sure how it's going to end up. All of these things are so very difficult. And maybe I didn't say what your struggle is or what your issue is tonight, but here's what I know. What we're going to look at in just a couple of moments applies to you as well. And what I want to do is I want to impart faith. The writer of Romans says that believing comes from hearing, and that's hearing the word of God. And so I believe as we read this scripture tonight that faith can literally be imparted to you tonight. I pray that faith would rise in this building that we can still be confident in God, even when we're overwhelmed, even when we feel surrounded, that there is still a God that loves you and cares about you in the middle of what you are going through tonight. And we can't miss this, guys, because there is so much more happening beyond the surface. We need to get beyond it. And if we do, we will see God do amazing things things in our lives. And so we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're starting verse 8 tonight. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arminians are going down there. So the king of Israel checked out on, on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. So the king of Aram thinks there is a traitor. He wants to attack Israel. He wants to destroy Israel. But every single time they bring an attack, the king of Israel knows it's going to happen, and so they're prepared. And so he is enraged in this moment. He doesn't understand how they are figuring it out time in and time again. And he gets all of his leaders together. He says, I know that someone is leaking this information. Someone is letting this out. And then one of the men speaks up and says, no, King, you don't understand. 
There's a man of God that knows the very words that you think because God is showing him those words. And we can try and do what we want, but he knows the very words you speak in your bedroom. And that information is going to set us up for where we're going tonight. Let's go to verse 13. Go and find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. So they are on their way to go kill Elisha. The king realizes how important Elisha is to the people of Israel and that God's hand is upon him. So he wants to remove this threat. Guys, whenever you are a threat to the enemy, the enemy will always send attacks to try and minimize what God is doing through your life. Some of you are just so discouraged. You're just so overwhelmed tonight. You're trying to live for God. You're trying to lead your family in a way that would honor God. But every time you try and make those choices, every time you try and live that way, maybe you're hit with something difficult. You're hit with a discouragement and you feel like giving up because of that discouragement. I want to let you know that that is the enemy trying to get you off that path because he is so scared of your potential. He's so scared of what God could do through your life. Never minimize your potential. The same spirit that rose Christ Jesus from the dead lives inside of all of his believers. And all of us sometimes get marked because God wants to do something great through all of us. And maybe you've been hurting for a while. Maybe you've been going through some really difficult things. Maybe it's because the enemy is scared about what God is about to do in your life. And I just kind of think that this is so interesting because I don't know if you guys saw this like I, I did, but here's this king who comes up with this plan and he thinks for some reason that this one is going to work when the other ones that they tried didn't work. Like, you don't think Elijah's going to know this plan that you're talking about? And the reason why I think he thinks he can get away with it is because they're going to do it at night. In scripture, night represents sin, darkness, confusion, and he's hoping that they're going to catch them in a moment where maybe they can't really see things for what they really are. Maybe he'll be blinded or confused by sleep. Isn't it funny how so many of our attacks happen at night sometimes? When we're half asleep and we hear that whisper in our ear and we just can't go back to sleep because all these thoughts start racing in our mind then. It's no mistake. The enemy tries to attack us when we're at our weakest. Some of you have been going through that lately, but there is so much hope and so much confidence that we can have in God tonight. So let's go to the next verse. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. The servant is completely overwhelmed. He wakes up and he sees an entire army around the whole city. Now, there was just two of them. It wasn't Elisha with his whole army that he had, just two men in a house. They could have surrounded the house, but they sent such a powerful force there that they had surrounded the whole entire city. And for some of you, that feels like a picture of your life tonight. You feel like you've been going through something that seems so 
impossible. You feel like there can't be an answer for you tonight because your situation is just way too difficult. I want to tell you that this was an impossible situation for them to get out of. And if you are in that spot tonight, God is in the business of doing the impossible. And you can have faith tonight because that was what was happening for these men right here. Maybe God has an answer for some of you that have been hurting for so long, feeling overwhelmed for so long. And the servant asked Elijah, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? And this is what we see in verse 16. He replies, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. And I'm sure the servant was like, thanks, Elijah. Like, that is so helpful. The last thing that you want to hear when you're afraid is, don't be afraid, right? Why can't we do something practical? I know that's what I would have wanted in these moments. I would have wanted Elijah to get a vision from God that said, all right, this is where we need to escape. If we take this road and maybe there's a little hole in the wall somewhere that we can sneak through. But he doesn't give him anything practical. Sometimes we just want something practical from God. We just want God to tell us to do exactly this. But I think God is saying to us the same thing that Elijah says to his servant. And he says, don't be afraid. Because sometimes what we don't do is more important than what we do. And Elisha knows something here. He knows that if the servant stays afraid, that he won't really see things for what they are. See, this is what fear does. Fear blinds us. And so many of us are making decisions out of fear tonight. And we are just making things worse because we can't really see everything for what it truly is. And so we're getting so upset tonight. It just seems like things are never working out. It's because you're blinded by fear, worry, and anxiety. And so that's why Elijah tells the servant, all right, this is the place we need to start. Put fear aside. And guys, there are reasons why we can be confident when we do that. I'm just not blindly asking you tonight to not be afraid. See, this servant had walked alongside Elisha. He knew the things that God could do through him. And so there is confidence for them to stand on tonight. And I know that there is also confidence in this room tonight. There are reasons why every person in this room can have confidence in God. I know that he has done things in your life before, and you need to hold on to that. It's so easy to forget about the things that God did in previous seasons. When we get to a new trouble, it blinds us to what is currently going on. And so he tells us not to be afraid. And then he says this, which is so powerful. Those who are with us are more than those who are with us. Them And I'm sure the servant, once again, is like, Elijah, what are you talking about? What do you mean those that are with us are more than those that are with them? See, this verse is a little hard for us to understand right now. We need to read some more to truly understand what Elijah is saying. And we're going to come back to this verse because it is so very powerful, is what it says in verse 17. And Elisha prayed. Church how we minimize the power of prayer. I'm old school. I still believe that prayer changes things. 
And I constantly hear people saying, no, we can't just pray about it. We need to do something about it. And, and I do agree that something needs to be done, but we have to make prayer a priority because if not, we'll be blinded by fear and we won't know how to move and how to work in the way that God would want us to. And so we have to start here because prayer has the power to change things. It has the power to move mountains. And so we have to start with prayer. And that's exactly what Elisha does. And he is about to pray a prayer that I think all of us need to get in our hearts when we are faced by a really difficult or overwhelming situation. And this is what he prays. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. See, these are two men in the same exact situation, but they see two very different things happening right here in this moment. And my prayer for you is that when you are overwhelmed by difficulty, when you feel completely surrounded in your life, that you would take a step back. You would pray and you would say, God, open up my eyes to what is really happening. Take me beyond the surface and into the source of this issue. And I think God would love to open some of our eyes tonight to see by faith what is really currently happening in some of our issues. This is what it says next. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. This verse gets me excited. I got a little bit of old school Pentecostal in me that tries to break out every once in a while and I gotta like keep that part of me tame. But when I read that, that fills me with excitement tonight. Because now the verse that we just read makes so much more sense. The one that we had to skip for a moment comes completely into context now, right? So here it is. His eyes are finally open, and he can see that they're still surrounded by an army, but there is a greater army around them, and it is on fire. And that is God all around them, surrounding them in the middle of what they are going through. And let's go back to that other verse real quick. He says, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I believe that God wanted me to tell someone in the room tonight that those that are with you are more than those that are with them in the middle of that difficult thing that you are going through. That if you could just see by faith, then you would have a new outlook on what is currently going on in your life. See, God has tilted the scales in our favor that he is always with us in the middle of the difficult things that we are going through. And you can have confidence tonight that those that are with you are more than those that are with them, no matter how impossible it is, no matter how dark it seems tonight. Those that are with you are more than those that are with them. And you can have confidence in God tonight. Matthew Henry said this, when we are magnifying the causes of our fear, we ought to possess ourselves with clear and great and high thoughts of God and the invisible world. If God be for us, who can be against us? Guys, faith opens our eyes to the impossible, to see what God sees in situations. And it is so important that we don't let our physical senses take over in the middle of our trials but we really let our faith kick in. This is what it says in verse 18. As the enemy came down toward him, Elijah prayed to the Lord, 
Strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. And I just think this is so cool because this was the plan of the king of Aram, that they were going to catch them in a moment where they would be blinded, where maybe they weren't ready for this attack. And God uses the very thing that was brought against Elisha to blind this army. They're hit with blindness. And what happens next is nothing short of impossible. Um, Elisha walks down to the army that is now blinded, and he tells them that they are in the wrong place. And so the entire army gets up, goes to Samaria. They have a feast there, and those people never attack the children of Israel ever again, ever again. God did the impossible in that situation because he's a God who wants to bring breakthrough for those who are seeking him, those who are called by his name. Because God is with you tonight. I want to tell you a story that um, I really hope that I can get through. I got through it the first two services. Um, Some of you know a little bit about my story and what me and my wife went through um, last year. In June of 2017, we found out that we were going to be having a baby. And we were so excited, filled with so much joy. And at our first sonogram, as the technician was doing her thing on the screen, I saw two dots, and I immediately knew what those two dots meant, that I was having twins. And I thank God I was sitting down because I probably would have fainted, right? It was, it was an amazing thing that was happening, but also overwhelming at the same time. And the doctor told us that we were going to be having mono die twins. Now, I need to explain to you a little, some medical terms for you to fully understand this story. There are three kinds of twin birth, births. There's die-die, mono-die, and mono-mono. Die-die is the safest kind of twin pregnancy because each baby has their own placenta and each baby has a sac covering them that keeps them safe. In mono-die, one baby has a sac covering them and they both share the placenta. Then in mono-mono, both babies have no sac and they both share a placenta. Mono-mono is the most dangerous because there's a risk of cord entanglement. And what happens with cord entanglement is there's a chance of loss of blood flow to one of the babies that could grow at different rates. You could lose one. There's risk of cord entanglement right around one of the babies. Next, there's just so much that could go wrong with mono-mono. Um, 9% of twin pregnancies are mono-mono. But we're told it's okay. We have mono-die twins, but it's still a high-risk pregnancy, so we need to go see a specialist. And we go see a specialist. And while we are in the technician's room, she's doing the sonogram, she tells us that it looks like we have mono-mono twins, that the original one was wrong. And now that we're at the high-risk um, specialty office that they can see a little bit better than they can in some normal offices. And they bring in this specialist who reads sonograms to kind of talk and just verify it. And this woman comes in, and I'm not sure, but she might have been the devil. Um, (laughs) She made my wife cry. She just threw out every fear possible. She said some really scary things to us in that moment. And it was completely overwhelming. We felt completely surrounded. At one time, 
we were told not to worry about this because it wasn't that. And now we're told that it is that. And we are filled with a little bit of fear, actually a lot of bit of fear and worry. And we get out of that technician's room and we go to the doctor who we were supposed to see all along. And I really believe that this man was sent by God. He still tells us that this is very risky and there is a lot of danger attached to this kind of pregnancy. But he also gives us hope and tells us that he's seen it before and he believes that we can do this. But he tells us that my wife is going to have to go into the hospital at 29 weeks. And that's exactly what we do. We go into the hospital at 29 weeks and every single day my wife has to get um, these monitors put on her to find a heartbeat in the baby. And these monitors aren't all that good. Sometimes it would take about half an hour to find a heartbeat. And with every test and with every monitor that was going on, we were just praying, praying, God, please let there be a heartbeat. With every sonogram that we got twice a week, sometimes it was really hard to find the blood flow. And we would just pray, God, please let there be blood flow. Let this be okay. And there were some really hard nights. I was going back and forth between the hospital every day and work, coming up on the stage, trying to preach, and just trusting God in the middle of everything that we were going through. By the grace of God, my girls made it to 34 weeks, which was always the goal, is what the doctors wanted to happen. And I still remember being in the labor and delivery room. It was um, a really overwhelming experience. There were 12 doctors and nurses in the room with us. Each girl had um, a team of four people waiting for them the second they got out. My wife had four people working on her. And it's just definitely just reassured my mind that women are way tougher than men after being in that room. There's just no doubt about it. Um, And everything goes smoothly. And my baby girls come out and we're able to hold them for 10 seconds. And they are immediately rushed to the NICU because they're not breathing so good on their own. And it would be hours before we saw them next as they began to try and stabilize them. And I remember just wanting to go down there so bad and just to see my girls. And after a couple of hours, I was able to go down. My wife was still recovering. And as I walk into the room, there is every piece of technology possible hooked up to my little girls that were born at four pounds, two ounces, right? Some of them, my one girl has an IV, the other one has a pick line going in. They have everything to help them breathe. It's just, it's just so overwhelming. And I've only been a dad probably for a couple of hours at that moment. And I already, what I feel like is probably the worst pain that a parent could probably ever experience is Well, one of them is seeing your child suffer and there's nothing that you can do about it. And so I'm just sitting there trying to take this all in. They weren't even the same room. I would have to go back and forth between the rooms just because they had so many things hooked up to them. And that would be our life for way longer than what we ever expected. We we were originally told that our stay wouldn't be that long. But it ended up being way longer than what we ever thought. And around three weeks, I remember just texting Doug, just being so completely overwhelmed and just saying, I just feel like this is never going to end. Every day felt like a week because we were going back and forth from the hospital. Having to leave your children at the hospital is a horrible, horrible experience. 
And I remember him just telling me back on the other side, keep trusting God, keep believing. It will, there will come breakthrough. And that's what we did. We kept believing and there were good days and then there were bad days back and forth. And around 40 days, we finally got news that there was a chance that my girls may be able to come home. We had to prove to the doctors over the course of 24 hours that if they had a Brady, which is basically um, they would stop breathing for a second so their heart rate would drop, that we could stimulate them back and bring them back if that happened. And so we set out. We said, all right, we'll do whatever it takes. And so over the course of 24 hours, we stayed with them without... The, the nurses were overseeing it, but really we were doing most of it just to prove to them that we could. And my shift was 10 a.m., 4 a.m., and my wife went to go get some sleep, and I remember just staring at the screen that showed their heart rate, and I was just praying, God, please, please, let this work out. God, let my girls come home, and their numbers got dangerously low a couple times to them stopping breathing, and I just kept praying, praying, and praying, and trusting God, and around 4 a.m., my wife came back in. She said I could go get some sleep, and they had given us this really small room with this blue wrestling mat for a bed that just didn't help at all. I got no sleep whatsoever that night. And my wife came in around 7 a.m. And she told me, the nurse leaked some information. It looks like the girls are coming home today. And we both started to cry hysterically. And I probably have cried harder than I ever have in my entire life. And some of you know me, I cry a lot, right? But I was just so filled with joy. I was so overwhelmed. And after my wife had left, she told me just to change real quick and come back in the room. The doctor was coming around soon. I sat down on that blue wrestling mat, still crying my eyes out and just saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, so much. Everything that we had went through didn't mean anything anymore. I was just so grateful that we were finally at this point. And I don't say what I'm about to say lightly. I know some people throw this out easily sometimes, but I felt the presence of God like I never have in my entire life fall in that hospital room. And I didn't hear an audible voice. I just felt something in my heart that said, I was always with you. I was always with you. And I will never forget that moment. And as soon as I heard God speak that to my heart, I immediately thought about the story that we looked like. Because I finally felt like the servant. I felt like my eyes were open to the fact that God was with us in every hospital room, in every doctor's visit, in every NICU room, in every time we got discouraging news, God was always there right beside us. He had never left us. And I know some of you are going through some really difficult things. Some really discouraging things are happening tonight. And you're saying, that's great for you, Joey. I'm so glad that happened in your life. And I'm so glad it worked out for Elijah. But what is God's promise to me tonight? Well, what can I stand on? Well, the writer of Hebrews also tells us this. He says, he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Because not even for a minute was I forsaken in everything that I went through. And neither are you. It is God's promise to you tonight. In the middle of your difficulty, in the middle of your battle that God is right there surrounding you in the middle of what is going on. There is that famous verse where Jesus is hanging on the cross and he yells out, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? And if I could just for a moment, I think if heaven could have replied and opened up for a second, 
It would have answered, so my children would never know what it is like to ever feel forsaken. Because none of us in this room ever have, no matter what you're going through. God has never forsaken you. He has always been there right beside you in what is happening in your life. And I know that there are some big disappointments in this room. And I don't pretend to know your pain. I don't pretend to know what you're going through tonight. All I know is that God can be trusted. And keep going, keep searching, keep looking to him, and he will have answers for you. He will get you through that difficult thing. It rarely happens on our timeline, on the way that we want it to happen, but I promise you, he's right there in the fire with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Can I tell you what makes the power of darkness scared tonight. It's when there are a group of believers or a church that comes together and says, I'm still surrounded. I am still overwhelmed and I am still hurting. But in the middle of my battle, I am going to choose to worship. I'm going to keep showing up even if I don't feel like it, even if I don't see it or I don't hear hope. I'm going to keep believing that God truly is who he says he is. And I'm going to worship in the middle of my difficulty. And I'm going to keep seeking him. Man, that makes the power of darkness shake. And it's not because of you. They're not scared because of you. They're scared because they know who Jesus is. And they know that he is the one who is faithful. So if we will just show up and play our part in it, oh, the things that God will do through his church when they keep showing up and keep moving by faith. The miracles and the breakthrough that we could see would blow away this broken and hurting world. So what do you do when you feel surrounded, when you feel overwhelmed? Do you look at the surface or are you going to start looking at the source of what God could truly do? Because he will never leave you or forsake you in the middle of what you are going through. I have two bottom lines for you tonight, what I really want you to remember. And the first one is this, is you may be surrounded, but you are never outnumbered. God is always going to be with you. The second one is this. Faith opens our eyes to see beyond the surface. There's so much more than what meets the eyes, God. God is doing things for you tonight that if you could just see it, if you could just get a glimpse, you would be so blown away. Your whole attitude would change tonight. I pray that God would show you what's really happening, that he would open some of your eyes tonight and you would be greatly encouraged. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for your goodness, Lord. God, we don't deserve all that you've done for us in our lives. God, if the only thing that you ever did for us was get on that cross, it would have been more than enough. And I just pray for someone who is just really discouraged tonight, God. Maybe their disappointments just have overwhelmed them to the point of just breaking down. I pray that you would speak hope to their heart tonight, God, in a way that only you can, that you would bring a peace that passes all understanding, that doesn't make any sense. God, I pray for impossible situations that are happening tonight, that you would show that you are the God of the impossible, that all things are possible for the one who believes. 
I pray, God, that faith would rise in this building like never before, God. I pray that we would see more mountains move in our lives because we can have confidence in you, God, because you are the one who is faithful. No matter how bad our situations, no matter how many people have told us there is no hope for us, there is always hope in the name of Jesus. Pray, God, for the person who feels like they're a lost cause for the person who feels like they have just messed up too much. I pray that they would know the fact that they still have breath in their lungs is a sign that you're not done with them tonight, God. I pray that you would be close to the brokenhearted. I want to give some of you an opportunity tonight. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, to just pray a couple of words with me to start a journey with him tonight. And it's not the words that save you. It's the faith, it's the belief that he is doing something in your life tonight. And so if that's you, you could just pray these words with me. You don't have to say them out loud. You could just say them in your heart. Jesus, I don't know everything there is to know about you, but I know you're tugging on my heart tonight. I believe that you got on a cross and died for my sins and you rose again in victory. I want to start this journey with you. Would you guide me all the days of my life as I put my faith in you? Just with every eye closed tonight in the room, no one looking around. If you prayed that prayer tonight for the first time, could you just look at me? Just look at me right in the eyes. just want to pray for you. Awesome. Awesome. Praise God. Jesus, we thank you so much for all that you do, Lord. We thank you that you are the faithful God, and we can always have confidence in you, no matter what is happening in our lives.